0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review.
1: Three Martini's coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for you as usual. A lot to talk about today. Your stool is ready. Take a seat and uh, join the conversation. So, uh, Jim, let's start with our good martini, and that's that there are actually some Democrats who are giving Biden some grief. We've got uh, at least a couple of committee chairs on the Democratic side of the Senate planning to hold hearings on how this withdrawal disaster could have possibly happened. And uh, we might see the same thing on the House side as well. Over on that House side, Democratic Congressman Seth Moulton who you might have forgotten, briefly ran for president in 2020, never made the debate stage, but uh, he was technically a candidate for a little while. But more important for this discussion, he's a military veteran and a decorated veteran of the Iraq war, says he was convinced by Biden's speech Monday defending the decision to withdraw troops from Afghanistan. However, according to the Boston Globe, the Massachusetts Democrat took exception Tuesday to Biden's argument that the chaotic evacuation of Afghan civilians fleeing their country this week was because some did not want to leave earlier. Quote, that's utter BS, Moulton said Tuesday. I mean, don't tell me that Afghans don't want to leave when there's been a backlog of special immigrant visa applications for over a decade. Don't tell me they don't want to leave when they're literally clinging to airplanes to try to get out of the country. That was the single part of the president's speech that I not only disagreed with, but that I thought was just utter BS. And as we documented yesterday, there were far more sections of the president's speech that were utter BS. Even if you think that it was time to end the U.S. military presence in Afghanistan, but um, Jim, when it comes to this particular issue, I know a debate is erupting over how many of those people should actually come here. If we can even get them out, Britain's planning to take some. Other NATO countries may take some. I, I don't know how many are ultimately going to get out. We got to get the Americans out first. But uh, what do you make of Moulton uh, blasting and publicly blasting Biden on that point?
0: While you're not going to see congressional Democrats ripping into this administration the way you'd see congressional Republicans doing it, I think it's safe to say congressional Democrats really don't want to stick their neck out to defend Biden on this. I I think, you know, it's not just Moulton is a, a great, vivid example of this. But you can find a couple other examples in the House, the Senate committee chairs, as you said and I think the, the, the what's got to be going through the minds of a lot of congressional Democrats So let's face it, don't spend a lot of time thinking about Afghanistan unless it's in a crisis. But one of the reasons that you picked Joe Biden as opposed to Bernie Sanders or any of the other Democrats out there was the sense that he was the old, experienced hand and he knew what he was doing, that he was not going to steer the country into really vivid, unforgettable Utterly, you know, humiliating defeats that end up with giant geopolitical ramifications. That was the that was a very low bar. Right. President caretaker was what they were kind of hoping for with this. And you're not getting it from him. And the evidence is piling up. You know, not just, you know, if if this had been um, a broad bipartisan, you know, everybody kind of recognized this. You know, nobody saw this. Look, now we're seeing leaks from not just, you know, the. Uh, the intelligence community, but also from the Pentagon and basically State Department. Everybody was saying, no, no, we warned them this was coming. Now, here's the thing where you might say, oh, this is usual CYA, butt covering and stuff like that. But look, this one thing in that July 8th press conference. Somebody asked Biden specifically, they said, quote, your own intelligence community has assessed the Afghan government will likely collapse. Now, there was no timeline on that question, but basically said that this was inevitable. And Biden said that is not true. The questioner said, can you please clarify what they have told you about whether that will happen or not? And Biden said, that is not true. They did not reach that conclusion. Biden went out there and made all kinds of assurances this wasn't going to happen, and then it happened, right? So that, that issue, part number one, is really tough to def- really tough to defend. Uh, the second part that's really tough to defend, it's not like Obama, It's not. Oh, got to go do it again. Um, it's not like Biden is out there all the time defending this. Uh, I've discussed earlier in the week that he had no four days, no appearances, 20 minute speech, no questions, nothing yesterday. Late yesterday, uh, you know, or yesterday afternoon, Jake Sullivan said Biden had not spoken to any foreign leaders about this. Yesterday, late last night, they said he had had a phone conversation with Boris Johnson over in the UK. And good, I'm glad, but I went up and I looked and I checked on the White House website. That is apparently Biden's first conversation since August 9th with a foreign leader. Last one was with the Prime Minister of Japan discussing the Olympics. So what was Biden doing for those nine days? Like, clearly he's not talking to foreign leaders. So what's he doing? What, 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 you know, we don't see him in front of camera. He's not talking to the American public. He's not talking to foreign leaders. I, I guess he's getting briefings, but like, what's happening behind those closed doors there? It puts congressional Democrats in a really tough spot to defend the Biden. And then the third thing is we're now in a situation where we've got thousands of American citizens stuck over there in Afghanistan. And reportedly, there's no plan to get them to the airport, as you saw that, that really disturbing your call is important to us please stay on the line style message from the u.s government saying we cannot guarantee your your protect your safety on the way to the airport but please make your way to the airport at this time past all the taliban checkpoints and, and i guess that's the you know, good luck is is the message from our government um really a bad look for them and i just think the congressional democrats we're not madly in love with uh, Joe Biden before, you know compared to like Barack Obama or, or somebody like that. So I think that they're you know perfectly happy to have him twisting in the wind. Yeah, well they but before I go any further with this, you're not going to see them invoke the 25th amendment in part because Congress doesn't invoke the 25th amendment, the president or the president's cabinet does so. And then the unlikely chance that you know some uh, Kamala Harris sees him drooling on himself one time too many and says, ah, that's it, Time for Biden to go. Even if you could get the cabinet to agree to do that and remove the president, and decide that he's no longer capable of executing the duties of his office. Greg, what happens to the Senate when Kamala Harris resigns the vice presidency to become president?
1: Uh, becomes a hopeless deadlock. She can't break the tie until she gets a vice president confirmed.
0: It becomes 50-50, and the next vice president has to be confirmed by the Senate. So you would need Republicans to sign on to that. So I mean, conceivably, uh, Mitch McConnell could say, oh, I, you know, fi- find me the, the Republican vice president. and Sure, and uh, we'll, we'll, do, we'll confirm it on Monday, and we'll schedule the impeachment on Tuesday. Um, <laughs> but you know, in other words, you basically would end up in a situation where uh, Kamala Harris would not be able to get a vice president in place, which would be very bad for the country on a bunch of different levels. Uh, So there's really no reason to think the 25th Amendment is going to be invoked short of Biden going out and just losing his mind in front of cameras or something like that. So um, that's where we stand with this. It's really bad. I think the congressional patience for Biden is waning quickly.
1: No, I think that's correct. Although ultimately, like you said at the beginning of your commentary there, I I think they're going to. Take a close look at it, but it won't be nearly as condemning as if Republicans were leading the committees here. And so uh, some of these folks on social media who think that Biden and Harris are going to be hitting the bricks and Nancy Pelosi scheming behind the scenes to become president. Take your meds and get some sleep, uh, because that's not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, let's
0: put it up. The if there were a Democratic majority in the Senate and they could afford to lose Harris, that would be it'd Be a game. That'd be a different situation. But if anything's going to sh- change in the next couple of days, you got to wonder if. Um, at some point, Governor Larry Elder would re- appoint a Republican <laughs> emplac- replacement for Feinstein. Oh, my gosh. Would, would that be amazing? Let me just choice. throw out that stink bomb to blow <laughs> things up. to you know, even for a, I don't think that's going to happen. But if anything you know, short of that or, you know, what do you think, you know, Bernie Sanders or Patrick Leahy slips on some ice and or, you know, gets hit by a, a, a Ben and Jerry's truck or something. And, and, you know, all of a sudden the Republican governor is appointing a Republican senator. This, this, the Democratic Senate majority is not in uh, best of shape right now.
1: Uh, that was supposed to be the good martini, but uh, these days, good martinis are a little bit hard to, to come by, but the fact that he is calling Biden out, at least on that one issue, is good. And we've got some more good news for you, Jim. Anytime you've got a sponsor that says bacon-wrapped filet mignon, that's good news. That's really good news. And it's coming from Omaha Steaks, who we've uh, loved having as a sponsor before, and we're, we're glad to have them again. Uh, I've... Uh, had a wonderful uh, experience with Omaha steaks before. I think I mentioned earlier in the summer that the first time I had Omaha steaks was as a gift when our first daughter was born a number of years ago. And of course, uh, at that time, when you're, uh, you got your first child, you're not really cooking a lot of meals. And so having all that stuff uh, all ready to go and so, so delicious was absolutely fantastic. I love the steaks. I love the burgers. There's uh, gourmet franks. There's uh, more burgers. There's pork chops. There's chicken. So many things that you'll want to have, and they're all delicious.
0: Labor Day is around the corner, so it's time to get ready for that last cookout of the summer. You need to go to omahasteaks.com and enter the code MARTINI into the search bar. And then you can order the deluxe grill-out assortment, which includes more than 30 entrees you'll save over 50%, and you'll get 12 free burgers, which are basically a steak between buns. But listen to this. Bacon-wrapped filet mignons, boneless chicken breasts, boneless pork chops, filet mignon burgers, gourmet jumbo franks, all beef meatballs, sides and desserts. Whew, that's a lot of food. So
1: visit omahasteaks.com, keyword martini, to save over 50% when you order the deluxe grill-out assortment. Plus, get 12 free Omaha Steaks burgers and enjoy the last cookout of summer. That's OmahaSteaks.com keyword martini. Man, those things are good. All right, Jim, we talked about Jake Sullivan and passing there in our first martini. But let's focus on him a little bit more here in our official bad martini. He is the national security advisor. Since Biden's not taking any questions, they sent poor Jake Sullivan out to the White House briefing room yesterday. And it just did not go well uh, because they really just don't have good answers for a lot of these questions. And so there's a lot of things we could play here in terms of excerpts from yesterday. But these two seem to crystallize Jake Sullivan's inability to answer fairly simple questions. Um, And let's start with this one. This is a question about, uh, hey, are you going to stay there until all the Americans are out of Afghanistan? The mission is not right. complete by August 31st, and there are Americans and Afghan allies who remain there. Will U.S. troops stay until everyone is out, or will they leave?
0: So I'm not going to comment on hypotheticals. What I'm going to do is stay focused
1: on the task at hand, which is getting as many people out as rapidly as possible, and we will take that day by day. <sighs> That's not really a hypothetical anymore, Jim. I mean, we have a a scramble going on to get thousands of Americans out in now less than two weeks. Uh, All he has to say is uh, we're committed to uh, making sure every American gets out, and that would have done it. But for some reason, he couldn't do that. And then there's the issue that you mentioned uh, a moment ago, and that's the intel community going public, anonymously, of course, that, hey, we warned the president about this, and he ignored us. So he was asked about that yesterday as well. And here's that exchange, including his non answer Yesterday said the situation in Afghanistan unfolded more quickly than anticipated. You said yourself just a few moments ago. But numerous officials have told ABC that there were key intelligence assessments warning the Taliban could overwhelm the country and take the capital within weeks. Did the White House disregard that intelligence and push ahead? I'm not actually familiar with the intelligence assessments you're describing. uh, But I also don't want to get into... um, specific intelligence products. And one thing I will not do from this podium or anywhere else is um, talk about what a different component of the interagency did or didn't do. Because from my perspective, we are one team with one mission trying to execute and uh, do so in the best interests of our interests and values. That's a long way to say yes, in my opinion, Jim, uh, because as you mentioned in the press conference a month ago, Biden was specifically asked about that.
0: Yeah, the, the second half of that answer is better, which is to say, I'm not going to discuss specific, you know, intelligences provided to the president. You know, I'm, I'm the national security advisor. It's not his job to declassify this. The first line, I'm not familiar with the intelligence you're describing. You're the national security advisor. If you're not getting to read this stuff, who is right? This is the idea. Oh, I'm, I'm, intelligence. I, I don't get those reports those memos don't come across my desk. I'm only supposed to advise the president on national security. No one actually tells me anything about things related to national security. Um, That was almost comically bad spin. And let's observe. Jake Sullivan is being thrown out there to be a pinata. He's being thrown out there so that everybody can take their wax at it because the president himself cannot answer questions on this. Everything we've seen reported in the last, I guess, an hour up to like, you know, 96 hours or so indicates that this decision was made because the president of the United States wanted all U.S. troops out of Afghanistan by the 20 year anniversary of 9-11. In retrospect, it was an egregious decision. It was an egregious mistake because it basically made very clear to the Taliban we were going to be out by a certain date. And the other bizarre things that made the choice to with, you know, as I, I discussed earlier this week. We removed the armed, trained guys before we got all all the unarmed, untrained Americans there. And that's why we have several thousand of people. And that was the worst part of Sullivan's press conference yesterday. That part where he says that said, well, I'm not gonna comment on hypotheticals. Look, a whole bunch of hypotheticals became reality very quickly over the course of this weekend. So this idea of, look, I'm not gonna speculate on what could happen or whatnot. You're being asked if you can get everybody out by the time you pledge to get everybody out of the country, right? And so like, well, what do you do for all those people who are not in Kabul, but who are in other parts of the country and who now have to get past a whole bunch of Taliban checkpoints and hope that the, guy, the, the guys at the checkpoints aren't feeling trigger happy that day, right? We are in, you know, the, the, this is very much akin to, you know, everyone's made the comparisons to the Bay of Pigs. Everyone's made the comparison to the fall of Saigon. This is also probably comparable to the embassy hostages uh, taken in Tehran in 1979. This, you know, now in a situation, we have a whole bunch of Americans who are in that, and who basically their ability to get out of the country is entirely up to the goodwill of the Taliban. Uh, lots of folks I talk to are speculating we're going to find out that at some point we bribed the Taliban to make sure they didn't start shelling the airport or doing something else to impede this. The Taliban completely surround the airport. We have one, effectively we control the airport, and that's it. And they control who gets into the airport. And reportedly, they're shooting into crowds, and reportedly they're beating people and, and all of that. So. It is an unbelievably bad situation and there's no guarantee that it's not gonna get worse. And the national security advisor is really going up there and tap dancing and not doing himself or the administration or the American people any good. So it was a really bad one there. Granted, he didn't have a lot of good answers, but that's one of the reasons you're supposed to try to avoid these situations. You know, obfuscation while you're in a bad situation very rarely makes things better.
1: Absolutely right. And uh, follow up uh, here on this, Martini, and it kind of dovetails in with what we talked about yesterday with Ned Price over at the State Department and the U.N. Security Council strongly urging inclusiveness in the the new Afghan government and a a prominent place for women inside the government, which I'm sure they'll get right on. Uh, Along those lines, uh, the U.S., along with uh, it looks like more than a dozen other countries here, issuing a joint statement on the situation of women and girls in Afghanistan In in itself, the statement is fine. Uh, We are deeply worried about Afghan women and girls, their rights to education, work, and freedom of movement. We call on those in positions of power and authority across Afghanistan to guarantee their protection. Afghan women and girls, as all Afghan people, deserve to live in safety, security, and dignity. Any form of discrimination and abuse should be prevented. We in the international community stand ready to assist them with humanitarian aid and support to ensure that their voices can be heard. We will monitor closely how any future government ensures rights and freedoms that have become an integral part of the life of women and girls in Afghanistan during the last 20 years. So I said there are a number of uh, countries that uh, also signed on to this statement. None of them are in the Muslim world. None of them are remotely close to Afghanistan. (laughs) I think the closest are the EU and, I don't know, maybe New Zealand. A lot of them are in uh, the Western Hemisphere. So, Jim, again, these are nice sentiments, but uh, we're not really in a place to enforce anything anymore. So it's just a bunch of talk at
0: this point. Greg, it was a sternly worded letter. <laughs> so for those of you who have not seen the cinematic classic Team America World Police, in part because you've been put off by the descriptions of puppet sex and uh, other other X-rated puppet materials, there is one hilariously funny uh, scene in which uh, Kim Jong-un, was it Kim Jong Il? Basically, as Hans Blix, except he keeps getting called Hans Bricks by uh, mm-hmm. uh, the the Korean dictator. Um, it basically comes up and says to him that if you don't give up your your nuclear weapons and, and your sponsorship of terrorism, uh, we this is a letter from the United Nations saying we will, you know, that you must do this. And of course, you know, the little Korean dictator says, "Well, wait a second. If I don't do it, what are you going to do?" And he says, "We are prepared to write a second letter telling you to." <laughs> <laughs> and this is basically where we are. We're writing letters to the Taliban, telling them, watching them when we all like the, the other, you know, one of the aspects that's just mind boggling about this. We see and we will see from this administration, across all administrations, tributes to our men and women in uniform. We like to think of ourselves as the arsenal of democracy. We have the ability to project power anywhere in the world. I think the 82nd Airborne likes to say they can get anywhere, they can have their whole brigade there in like 72 hours, you know. Our whole national security and defense and intelligence establishment is based on our ability to commit forces and to get them anywhere they need to go to change the situation on the ground anywhere on earth very, very quickly. And the entire Biden administration's approach is that there's just nothing we can do in Afghanistan. We just have to hope that the Taliban plays along with us, but there's nothing we can do. We certainly are in no situation to dictate terms to them and it's just mind-boggling to say like you know well we're going to keep an eye on the taliban but we can't we we can't even like you know get secure passage for our people to the airport it's just unbelievably baffling um to see this mentality and i i you know a a true humiliation for, for the united states and for those of us who thought we could you know whether you wanted the united states to be the world's policeman you thought at minimum we'd be able to protect our own people and that does not appear to be the case
1: just watching what's happening over there, I saw you commented on, on Twitter. I think it was from an NBC story about how people are getting uh, assaulted and beaten in the streets by the Taliban. And the Taliban saying, no, 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 no. These are Taliban imposters. If uh, if you're, yes. you're getting
0: assaulted. I, I think it was Antifa, Greg. I, think,
1: uh... <laughs> I mean, what's going to happen here, I think, is that um, – You know, they don't want to risk having a lot of Americans come back in. So they're probably going to let most, if not all of the Americans out without too much grief. And then once we're gone and most of the media goes with us that's when the clampdown is going to happen and the bloodshed's really going to run through the streets. I mean, we we see this statement about women and girls. There's already stories about women in, in universities not being able to leave their dorm rooms without accompaniment by a male relative. And some of these women are at the universities with no male relatives in town. They're stuck in their dorm room in perpetuity. And so the idea that these people are anything different than they were a generation ago is insane.
0: They're already covering up images of women in stores and billboards. I hate the Taliban, but I'm not surprised that they're lying. I'm, I'm but I'm really appalled and disappointed by international media that repeat their lies so uncritically, because I feel I, I'd like to think that 20 years after 9-11, no one has any illusions about the Taliban. But, you know, oh, by the way, they did this exact same thing back in 1996 when they were seizing power. They promised to be nice guys. And then they started mass executions. Um, what you know? What do you need to see to make you say, you know, oh, the Taliban claims they're going to respect the rights of women, but they're not going to do that. Like, remember all those parentheses that uh, CNN used to do on the cryons for, you know, <laughs> right? like, could could we get a Taliban says they'll respect women parentheses? They won't. Right. You know,
1: <laughs> well, that only happens with Trump, apparently. Uh, yeah, yeah. Can't yeah.
0: do that. They the, the only with the really dangerous ones. <laughs> The really evil
1: ones. Oh, Jim, August is supposed to be the quiet month in politics. Congress is supposed to be out of town. The president's supposed to be on vacation, unless there's a major national or international crisis. But this one's on vacation. Greg, he's on
0: vacation. (laughs) I know. He's still on vacation anyway. Greg, mentally and physically, he's still on vacation. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Uh, But uh, for people hard at work like you, a lot of hours at the desk. And if you're going to be in that situation, you want the best chair possible. And that's why you've got the X chair
0: Sounds like something out of, out of the X-Men movies, something Charles Xavier will be rolling around. And let me tell you, this is probably far and away the, the finest office desk chair I've ever had. And if you're going to be spending time at your desk, you want to take care of your back. You want to make sure you don't end up with uh, some sort of awkward position. I was describing, you know, all the number of people who started working from home during the pandemic. And they started working at their kitchen table or at the kitchen counter, all these other spots. They weren't really designed for long stretches of computer work. And, you know, they don't have an elevated desk or something like that. Look, you're going to want a comfortable chair. You know, they heat it. They can cool it. They got the massaging stage, the little vibrations. It's, it is it is everything you've ever wanted in a chair. It's going to make you actually look forward sitting into your, your chair to get some work done. Um, or maybe just sitting and listening to a podcast on your computer or something. wherever you're doing. But nonetheless, finest chair I've ever had. I'm sitting in it right now. Trust me, this is not something you're going to want to pass up.
1: It's got all the technology and the comfort that you want. X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support was already best in class with incredible responsive low back support. And now they've got what they call Elemax. And so with Elemax in there as well, your comfort is guaranteed. You won't believe the difference until you feel it for yourself. Imagine regulating your body temperature and getting a massage therapy while you're working. That's a pretty good idea. Go to xchairmartini.com now. That's the letter X-Chair. M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com or call 1-844-4-X-CHAIR and save $100 on your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 per month. Go to XCHAIRMARTINI.com now and use the code XWHEELS for free X-Wheel blade casters. Again, XCHAIRMARTINI.com. All right, Jim, on to our final and crazy martini now. And people are going to be asked to get yet another COVID shot. In a statement from the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, the acting FDA commissioner and the White House chief medical advisor, who is Tony Fauci, they say it's now very clear that immunity starts to fall after the initial two doses. And with the dominance of the Delta variant, we are starting to see evidence of reduced protection against mild and moderate disease. And so the government is preparing to offer booster shots to all eligible Americans beginning the week of September 20th, starting eight months After their second dose of the Pfizer or Moderna shots, Johnson & Johnson, uh, the jury's still out on a booster there. So, Jim, obviously the science can change, but uh, if you thought it was hard getting people to get vaccinated once or twice, good luck on a third, and especially if this becomes an every six or eight month thing.
0: Yeah. Once again, the messaging on this is terrible. Look, if you don't uh, agree with me, as always, dear listeners, talk to your doctor, talk to someone you trust. Um, But my sense is, yeah, you should get a a booster. This has been pretty clear for a while. I think Israel has been kind of ahead of the curve on this. And it's the first thing I'd note is that if the Delta variant had never come along, maybe we wouldn't have needed this booster. Um, But you know, we saw this. We see this with the, the flu shots. We see this. Um, if you're not exposed to a uh, particular type of pathogen or virus and your body's ability to resist, in some cases, is going to you know very gradually decline over time. Um, there are a lot of people who think they were thinking that if you get this third shot, maybe it will be a situation where uh, your body will build this lasting uh, sense of, of having antibodies and also the kind of the T cell uh, ability to resist that. Hopefully this will not turn into twice a year, every year for the rest of your life. Um, I think what, one of the things that frustrates me is that this was pretty clear, I think going back at least a couple of months that we were going to need boosters at some point. It was just a question of when. Was it going to be six months? Was it going to be a year? Was it going to be up every two years? Um, it was going to be something where you, you you wanted to make sure your body's immune system was regularly encountering, thing, encountering things that looked like SARS-CoV-2 and that figured out how to fight it. And unfortunately the Delta variant, which is super duper contagious, is different enough that your body isn't quite as good at shutting it down quickly. It's you know, Most of the time, people are, you know, look, they're not ending up in the hospital, they're not ending up severely sick, and they're not dying. So, like, that's what's most important right now. But a month from now, two months from now, you get towards Thanksgiving, you get towards Christmas, maybe your body's immune system won't be as good at this. And here's the thing, the vast majority of people out there who are young and healthy, they're probably going to be fine. Who are we really worried about? Well, we're really worried about the immunocompromised who the uh, CDC and FDA endorsed boosters for actually last week. And we're worried about the elderly and we're worried about people who have those comorbidities, right? High blood pressure, diabetes, uh, recently uh, some other health issue that puts you at higher risk of, of you know lung issues, smokers, people like that. So those are the folks we're going to want to make sure your immune system is up tippy top shape the best it can get for a good long while until we reach herd immunity and this virus stops spreading around. So if, you know, if you're reaching that eight month point, go ahead and do it. If you're at six months and you feel like doing it, I don't think there's going to be that much, you know, I don't think there's going to be too much damage to your system. If you get your shot within six months, instead of uh, eight months already, I know apparently it was at CDC said 1.1 million people have already gotten the third shot without waiting for CDC approval. And the CDC kind of, Rochelle Wilinsky kind of had her nose out of joint about that. Now, of course, you know, like less than a week later, they're saying, yeah, you should get a third shot. And I guess that's what irks me the most. I wrote about this in the corner yesterday. Pfizer CEO was saying that about six months after your second dose, you're uh, about, you know, 84 percent effective against this. Um, you know, it's not bad, but he says it's going to go down another six percent every two months. Um, so, you know, you look at that, and you're like, OK, we should go out and do it. The problem is that like six days ago the CDC was saying individuals who are fully vaccinated are adequately protected and do not need an additional dose of COVID-19 vaccine at this time. I think for at least the past month or so, at least since Israel started giving people a third shot, it was pretty clear we were going to be in a similar boat. We were going to be in a similar situation and we were going to need to give it. So it'd be better to start talking about this sooner rather than later. You don't have to tell people to go out and get it and say, yeah, you're probably going to need one in the fall. That was not the approach they did. And now, once again, you know, uh, six days after telling people they didn't need a, a booster shot, the CDC and FDA are saying, yes, you do need a booster shot. Man, oh, man, just so frustrating. Here it is, August 18th, 2021. We're coming up on, you know, past 18 months of the of, of this pandemic, and we still can't get clear messaging out of the CDC.
1: No, they're all over the map. And uh, the question then becomes, are we going to get a mandate for a third shot? Some people are saying, oh, it'll just be like the flu vaccine. And so I looked up how many people get the flu vaccine. During the 2018-2019 flu season, 49.2% of people aged six months and older got a flu vaccine. For adults, it was 45.3. And that's the highest percentage since 2009-2010, which I'm guessing was due to H1N1. Um, But still, those numbers are nowhere close to what... uh, what the government's looking for here. And so once again, the question becomes, do people who only have two shots uh, get denied access to things because the government thinks you should have three?
0: Yeah, I was going to say fully vaccinated is going to get a lot fuzzier uh, in in public discussions. Finally, I I should point out, Greg, one of my readers, when I I wrote my thing yesterday, when he said, Jim, come on, there's no way we're going to get 330 million Americans to get a third shot. I wrote back, Robbie, we can't get 330 million Americans to get one shot. It's worth noting that like 48 million of that are children who can't get vaccinated yet. So we actually, were, you look at that, we're like 90 some percent of a uh, uh, little over 90 percent of, of senior citizens have uh, at least one shot. Something like 72 percent of adults and something like 70 percent of people over age 12. You look at that, that's actually not that bad. We're, we're, we're doing pretty darn well. If it wasn't for Delta, I think we'd probably be in much better shape than this. But it is what it is, Greg. Jim,
1: another crazy day. See you tomorrow.
0: See you tomorrow, Greg.
1: Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends to do it as well. We'd love to have them along for the ride, too. Uh, We're very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Also, remember to get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Remember to follow us. Follow us on Twitter as well. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an
0: information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers.
1: Please join me at the BillWaltonShow.com to explore what's true,
0: what's right, and what's next.